It is a real privilege to be able to be with you all, and I come with uh, warm greetings from, of course, your brothers and sisters in Warunga. I understand Brendan was here last week um, serving you. You know, Brendan is such a gift. He's a real gift to our family of churches, um, just, you know, here in Australia, but also internationally. Um, Brendan is a very gifted communicator and teacher, and we love that guy a lot. And we also love your lead pastor, um, and I would just want to say to you guys, thank you for treating him so well, him and his wife, and taking such good care of him and honoring him. I think the Lord will bless you immensely um, for the way that you have loved and served your pastor. Um, this morning, uh, oh, this afternoon, I'm going to say this morning probably a few times, so, oh, um, this afternoon, thank you very much, Nikki. Um, we are going to just look at a couple verses. Um, I wanted to kind of share with you about something that the Lord's been teaching me. This doesn't necessarily mean this is something that you yourselves are struggling with, but as a pastor, I mean, we obviously want to care for sheep. And so in caring for sheep, we'd like to warn you. So maybe this morning, uh, this afternoon is a warning. Maybe it's a reminder, but I pray in whatever way God chooses to meet you that ultimately he will be glorified and you will be severely encouraged because that's usually what happens when we spend time with our great Savior. So if you have your Bibles, could you please turn to Philippians chapter 2? And we're just going to look at two verses in chapter 2. And there's going to be verses 14 and 15. So I will read those, we'll pray, and then we'll, have a, we'll work our way through this. Here's the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these divinely inspired words. Would you use these few verses this afternoon to spur us on as members, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but as children of the Most High God who loves us and has a certain way he wants us to live. So, Lord, enable us to fulfill and to look to you and to trust you as we seek to apply these words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let me start off this afternoon by asking you a question. Just take a moment and kind of go through the Rolodex of your brain. When, when was the last time, this could be a problem, um, when was the last time that you complained? Have a think about when was the last time that you complained. Was it last year? Maybe, perhaps it was last month. Last week, maybe? What about yesterday? Or was there a complaint even on your way to church about how hot it was? I did that. <laughs> what about even on your way to your seat this afternoon? You know, since I've been thinking about these divinely inspired words, I've been very aware of my own tendency, and in some cases, my own practice of complaint. 
Have you ever noticed how easy complaining happens? It's just almost second nature. It's, it, it just flows out. Just think for a moment with me at home. What sort of complaints would happen at home? What about why are you, if you have older kids, um, and I don't, I have a couple here, but, um, you know, banging on the shower door going, do you not know that water costs money? How long are you going to be in there? Or um, is that what we're having for dinner again? That's like, that's gross. I don't like that. Or how many times have I asked you to take out the trash or put down the toilet seat or carry your clothes to the laundry or feed the dog or not leave the milk out? How many times do complaints like that just come out of our mouth? What about at work? You know, you come into work after the weekend and things are missing off your desk. People keep stealing my stuff. I'm sick of it. I'm so fed up with being micromanaged. Get off my back. How many times are they going to change these targets, these ever-moving targets? Why don't they do it? Why don't they try to produce that? We can complain at work, and we can also, I know it's a surprise, but even in churches, we can complain about churches at church. I'm on SG, SG Kids again. I don't even have kids. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but what about, I never get invited to anyone's house, but they, everyone else seems to get invited. Or there's just so much pressure to serve at church, and I'm kind of over it, really. I just want to go. Or when are we going to get our own building? These are some of the complaints that naturally just kind of flow out of our hearts. And we live in a, in a society, actually, that complains so much. And we actually listen to it, and we can agree with it. And we become numb and immune of it coming out of our mouths or even it being listened to. And so right now, what I'd like to say to you is something quite provocative, but I want you to consider it. If you're complaining about something right now, I can almost guarantee you that you aren't complaining because you have a lack of resources problem. I can almost guarantee you that the reason that you're complaining isn't because you have a location problem. And I can guarantee you that you're probably not complaining because you have a, a situation problem, a people problem, that you're suffering, that you have a fairness problem, a church problem, a marriage problem, an employment problem, a parenting or parent problem, a life difficulty problem, a neighbor problem, or a fallen world problem. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that you're not dealing with difficulty. I'm not saying that you might not be dealing with difficulty in one or more of those areas, but what I am saying is, is that those problems are not the cause of your grumbling. They are more likely the fruit of your problem. You see, something greater, much greater is actually going on. And I want to show you that this afternoon. You see, when you are complaining, it's rooted at a much deeper level. You see, let me try to explain this. I look into my fridge and there's food in there. Is there not? But not what I want. Uh, I can go to the cupboard and I can want a particular item. The cupboard's full, but it's not what I want. I can go out to my car and the car has four wheels and it has an engine and it gets me from place to place, but it's not the car that I want. Go through the items, the job, the TV, the house, and even we can look at other people's lives 
and be discontent with our own lives and think, I want their life. I'm not happy with my life. Something deeper is going on. You see, friends, we complain and we grumble not because we have things. No, we complain because we have an amazement deficiency. We have a lack of admiration and gratitude and wonder. Do you even take a moment to recognize the breath in your lungs is a gift? You even have breath. Your heart is beating. You can see. Some of us might need glasses, but we can see. We can hear. We might need hearing aids, but we can hear. There are so many things that we're given that we can take for granted. But we lack wonder and appreciation and awe and amazement for the things that God has given us. My hope for us this afternoon is for us to leave with one truth. One truth strapped to our hearts and in our minds, and it is this. Every murmur of grumbling and complaint is deeply theological. Let me say that again. Every murmur and grumbling and complaint is deeply theological. You see, all those grumblings and all those complainings it actually reveals what we understand about God. And so I want us to look in Philippians chapter 2. Here Paul is writing to the Philippians. Now, I like to imagine when I read these different letters, I like to imagine Paul, uh, wherever he's located, trying to get into his head to think about why is he writing, where is he writing from. It just makes the passage come to life. But here I imagine Paul is writing to his very first church plant in Europe, the Philippians. There he imagines in Philippi the very first convert, Lydia, the seller of purple clothes. What, can you imagine being a church planter and having that first convert and you think about them and a smile just smear across your face? Paul is in prison. He's in prison because he shared the gospel. There was a little girl who was, um, uh, uh, was possessed by a demon and he delivered this girl from a demon. And then he was put in prison with Silas. And there they are in Silas and he's riding in chains to the Philippians like he does in so many other letters just to encourage the saints, just to tell them to keep on going. And here in Philippians, the Philippians have sent some financial support to Paul because they're just grateful for him and what he's done for them. And so they're committed to him and they continue in partnership with him, even though there's a stigma, a negative stigma to be associated with anybody who's in prison. And so Paul is writing to thank them for their generous offering. But what he does further is he's seeking to encourage the church. And here's how he's seeking to encourage the Philippians. He's wanting to encourage them that spiritual progress requires effort. Spiritual progress in our life requires effort. 
And so if you have your Bible still open and you look in this passage in Philippians in chapter 2, if you cast your eyes up to verse 12, Paul's saying, therefore, because of what's ahead. But he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is going to require self-effort. And then he wisely reminds them that as they work out their salvation, look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is pointing to God who does the work in us. Why all of that? Because at verse 12, there is that beautiful therefore. Well, what comes before that therefore? Well, cast your eyes, paramedians, to verse 5. Just like the Philippians were being encouraged to do, to cast their eyes and remember this. Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you see Paul's encouragement to the Philippians? You paramedians, I want to give you this encouragement. Look to Jesus who is calling you to do all things without grumbling or questioning. Look to the one who says, I'm calling you. It's going to require self-effort, but you, because of me and me in you, can do all things without grumbling or complaining or arguing or questioning. Why is it a big deal to grumble or question? In the NIV, if you have the NIV Bible, the questioning is translated into argue. So what's the big deal with grumbling or arguing? I'd like to suggest to you it's this. It's because grumbling and whining and thanklessness aren't actually the heart's response to circumstances, but rather it's the heart's response to God. How sobering is that? When you look in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch, yeah, uh, no, yeah, uh, <laughs> the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those books there, we read about where we come from, we read about the law, we read about how God chose a people, he chose a man, Moses, to lead the people through the wilderness, um, delivered them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they grumbled at their enslavement. We, they grumble at Moses when Moses comes onto the scene because he's not a good leader. And they still grumbled as they safely wandered through the wilderness, but they didn't like the food. Remember, they wanted meat, but they weren't getting meat. And so they're grumbling and complaining. It wasn't rooted in their scenery. It was rooted in their heart. Can that be true of you? It's not necessarily the scenery, but it's coming out of our hearts. Our hearts can be good and great when we think about our bank accounts. 
If our bank accounts are healthy, we're happy. We'd like more, but we'd, we'd like our bank accounts full. Or we like a good report from the doctor. Or we like a good report from our boss who's evaluating us, but we'd like more. But boy, look out when those unexpected bills come or a concerning doctor's diagnosis is received or our boss overlooks us for a promotion. Behold the unleashing and murmuring and grumbling and complaint. My point is that thankless grumbling, regardless of our situation, even our suffering, reflect what we believe about God. So does Paul mean that we're never to speak out or to speak up when we don't like something? Is that what Paul's getting at? Does it mean that we're supposed to just, as Disney says, whistle while we work and deny all reality and difficulty or injustice or pain? I don't believe that that's what Paul is charging the children of his, uh, God's children to do. So I think it's going to be helpful for us to look at what is complaining. What is this complaining that Paul is talking about? And I kind of mentioned it before. Define or understand complaining as faithless grumbling. There is an ungodly complaining that is faithless in its grumbling. The Bible often refers to faithless complaining or grumbling, and he actually warns us not to do it. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 to 30, we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked generation grumble against who? Me. I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me, saying to them, As I live, declared the Lord, what have you said in my hearing? I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all your number, listed in the census for twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. No one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. And then look in John 6:43. Jesus answered them and he said to them, "Do not grumble among yourselves." There Jesus is teaching and the disciples and the Pharisees are grumbling and Jesus answered them and says, "Don't grumble against yourself." They're grumbling because of God's way and his will. In James chapter 5 we read, "Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door." It seems like when it comes to faithless murmuring and grumbling in complaint, it's not just us crying out for help in difficulty. That's not really what we're doing. Rather, it's that we're murmuring and we're really grumbling against God and what he's done. This faithless grumbling actually does something that we'll see in verse 15. But before we get there, it must be stated there is a faith-filled way to complain. So if there is a faithless grumbling that God calls us not to do, what is the faith-filled complaining that God calls us to? You see, faith-filled complaining is a way of complaining that does not challenge or want to take issue or to try to impeach God to throw him and cast him off his throne. And where we see this most beautifully spelled out for us as followers of our Heavenly Father is in the book of Psalm. There is a um, a style of Psalm that's called a lament. And God is, um, we can learn from God who chose to teach us how to express ourselves to him in worship 
when we do have complaint. These are precious gifts to us. If you're not familiar with the Psalm of Laments, these are special tools and gifts of God to help us to model how to complain in faith. You see, the psalmist, they suffered and they struggle with the same things that we do in Sydney, Parramatta in 2020. The psalmist, they were tempted to complain um, in sorrow because they were faced with sorrow. Psalm 137 shows us how to complain when we are in sorrow. Have a read, write down these psalms. They're gonna come up on the slide. This is a way in which we can complain in faith. What about when you're angry? It's okay to be angry, and it's okay to let God know that you're angry. Turn to Psalm 140 and learn to complain in a way that is faith-filled and not a faithless complaining. What about when you're fearful or when you're longing for something and it just isn't happening? What about when you're confused? Anybody ever confused and wonder, how do I express this to the Lord? With not a complaint, but a a faith-filled hope that he understands. What about in desolation or when you're repenting, when you're disappointed, and even when you're depressed? You see, even back in the ancient Near East, when the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness, they no doubt were depressed because of the external evil and the internal evil of darkness. These psalms are expressions of God's profound and deep compassion for us. How? Why? Why are they deep, profound compassions from God to us? Well, because God has warned us that we, as his children, will experience pain. If you have your Bibles or it'll come up on the screen... But I want you to have a look at these words from Jesus. In John chapter 16, John chapter 16, he explains this to us. At the end of his chapter, at the end of this chapter, he says in verse 29, and his disciples said, oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them and he says this, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Listen to this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world, dear disciples. Hear Jesus. In the world, disciples, in the world, followers of Jesus, You will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And here's the reality. Some of us are going to experience more pain than others. Some of us are going to walk different paths, hard paths. But God has chosen that for his children. Is it fair I have a thought about that that's probably not appropriate for this message, but I have a thought about God and his fairness. But do you know, God doesn't expect you to deny reality that things are hard. If things weren't hard, if things weren't broken, we wouldn't need grace. 
But because of grace, we can honestly look things in the eye and we can say, this hurts. This is hard. I'm finding this difficult. I want to complain and I want to murmur in a faithless way. But God, enable me to complain in a faith-filled way. Just for fun, I would love to exhort you this week. If you have time, if you don't have a a Bible reading plan, I don't want to take it away, take you away from that. But I would encourage you, I would exhort you, I would compel you to look at Psalm 142 this week. In Psalm 142, we actually see and understand that God wants us to share our faith-filled complaints privately with him. Just like David did when he wrote Psalm 142. He wrote it in a cave because his son was pursuing him and wanted to kill him or dethrone him. He wants you to not only share those complaints privately, but corporately. Imagine the psalmist sang corporately together. And they sang Psalm 142, the song of lament. God wants us to tell him exactly how we feel. Just like David explained. He explained in Psalm 142 verse 4, no one cares for my soul. That's how David felt. Nobody cares for my soul. And God's not going, God listens. He knows what he's doing. And he wants us to talk to him honestly. God wants us to remember that despite how things look and feel right now, Because of his very great promises, someday these troubles will no longer afflict us. And David expressed that at the end of Psalm 142.7 where he says, You, God, you will deal bountifully with me. It's a faith-filled complaint. It's a way that we can honestly complain before the Lord, but with faith. You know, these psalms of lament... They're treasures, as I said. They're gifts for us. And they're really, they provide us with really three gifts of grace. They actually give us a voice. A voice when our soul is troubled. They model for us how to complain to God in a way that actually honors Him, holds Him in His rightful place. And they're expressions of God's merciful care for us. Because in them we see that we're not alone We're not as alone as we feel and that God indeed does in fact understand us. And if we have ears to hear, these psalms will also guard us from actually expecting too much in this age. Do you have a biblically informed expectation? Do you have an expectation that God actually has for you? There's a warning, friends. And that is God has not promised that we would experience prosperity. He hasn't promised that. So the Psalms of Lament remind us the truth of Jesus' statement that in this world you will have tribulation. And then Jesus points us to our greatest hope. And that is to take heart because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So go ahead and complain. But complain dear paramedians, in faith-filled ways to God and try to avoid these practices of faithless complaining. I'm a bit of a visual person. Um, I like to imagine um, 
when I meditate on passages of scripture, how to apply this or how this can be personally impacted or imprinted on my heart. And I love closing my eyes and I love picturing ways to illustrate truths. And so for some reason, when it comes to the things of God, I straight away imagine God in this massive, incredible, um, impressive castle. And I imagine getting an invitation to go straight into his throne room, which is breathtaking. It is absolutely spectacular. I give kudos to Disneyland, Disney, well, yeah, Walt Disney. I think they, the best picture I've seen is in Beauty and the Beast, I think it is, yeah, or Cinderella, Cinderella. Um, that, that whole scene, if you haven't seen the modern version of Cinderella, that throne room, is, it's, it's small, but it's grand and it's beautiful and it's amazing. But in this spectacular throne room, Filled with the finest of things, I imagine the best, the purest of gold, the finest of threads, wood, china, silver, gems. No expenses have been saved. This throne, his throne is massively large and impressive. His clothes are um, regal and masculine. His presence is awesome. And you just, you feel intimidated, but yet you really want to hang out with him and you, you want to get his attention and you want to spend time with him. And the throne room itself is just this vast and grand um, room with massive steps leading up to this impressive throne. And there he orders, he rules, he instructs, he dispatches, he commands his warriors and they go and they obey. And there I am in this beautiful setting. And I hear what he orders to his warriors. And I meander on up to the throne. And I tiptoe up to the grand steps with this awesome presence and say, get out. That's terrible. Why would you do that? I can do a better job. Doesn't that sound ludicrous? Doesn't that sound silly? Well, in actual fact, every murmur of faithless grumbling in complaint can reveal my deep theological understanding. And oftentimes, my own personal complaint reveal that I think I can do better than God and that he should get out of the way and let me do it. It's faithless complaining against a God who rules and reigns and is about his glory and his kingdom. So what's the big deal with all this? I mean, what happens when I complain and murmur in faithless grumbling? Well, I want to take you to verse 15, which I think kind of unpacks this a little bit more um, as to why we're being told not to complain and grumble and murmur. So look with me at verse 15. Paul goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and uh, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world, that you may be blameless. Remember that effort that Paul was trying to encourage the Philippians with? It's going to take effort for us to grow in our spiritual strength and our spiritual faith. Well, paramedians, you too must know 
that your spiritual walk requires effort. You're called to do things, everything, without grumbling. And we're being charged with not being faithless complainers so that we, um, so that, sorry, we're being charged to not be faithless complainers so that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Here's the reality. The longer my complaining goes on, I think this is what Paul's saying, the longer we complain, the more we actually put out a light. Well, what is this light? This light is God in us. God's light, the the light of God's strength, the light of God's wisdom, the light of God's love. I mean, think about this with me for a moment. There's a light that, that we have because of Christ, and it's either shining or it's dimming in us when we complain with faith or without faith. And so I think that's what Paul is getting at. I mean, have you ever been to the beach or out in the bush in the middle of the night, um, and you look up at the sky and you just see this, these lights Some of them are bright, some of them are dim. Um, A few years ago, the twins and I went walking along the beach really late at night. We could hear the waves crashing in, and we looked up, and the sky was just spectacular. The lights were twinkling and sparkling. Some were dim, some were bright. But as we saw it, it just, it was awesome. It took our breath away. And I think this is the image of what Paul is trying to say. When we complain in faith... We're shining in this crooked and twisted generation. But when we're complaining, we're quite dim lights. It's a dim light, if at any light at all. You see, God has placed each of us in various places of this crooked and twisted and dark generation. We complain. But will we complain in faith or will we complain faithlessly? You see, Paul is referring back to Moses who referred to the children of Israel as a people in the wilderness who were grumbling and complaining and he identified them as a crooked and twisted generation. And that is a warning, I think, that Paul is pointing out to the Philippians and I'm wanting to point out to us paramedians and myself personally is that we have a role. There's a reason why we're called not to grumble. Because we're supposed to be lights in this generation. So what, what light goes out? The light that goes out is the light of his power. And what I mean by that is what, um, when you practice faithless complaining, what we're actually saying is, God, you aren't strong enough to stop this thing that I'm complaining about. You see, the light of his power, his power, he's ruling and he's reigning. And But when I'm complaining and saying, where are you? I'm basically saying, God, you're not big enough. You're not big enough and you don't have the power to um, rule over this situation. Or I'm saying that the light of his wisdom is going out. I'm saying that, God, you aren't smart enough to keep this out of my life. Or I'm saying when the light of his goodness goes out that God, you don't have my best interest at heart. You're letting this thing come into my life and it's ruining my life. So friends, what I'm trying to say is every murmur of grumbling and complaint is actually deeply theological. The the longer we practice this faithless complaining and the more we put out the light of his strength and the light of his um, strength and wisdom and love, 
the more he is glorified, the more we're making much of him. And as I said to you at the very beginning, I don't know where you're at with this topic. Perhaps grumbling isn't an issue for you. But for me, I want it to stop. And I've been taking issue with the Lord. And I know that God doesn't want faithless grumbling and complaint from me or from his kids. Because it says something. It says something about what we deeply believe about him. And so what I wanted to share with you is that if you find yourself in this complaint practice, I want to tell you that I have been met with much grace. I've been met with a conviction and I pleaded with the Lord to have mercy on me. And I have expressed to the Lord that perhaps I'm just one of those people who um, have this gift of complaint. I tend to find faults everywhere that I look, um, and I you know, can just see it. I walk into a room, and I can see what needs to be adjusted, and I can complain in faithlessness. I do really want to be like this because I don't ref- think it reflects what God is like. It's tiring to be like this. And I truly do desire to be a joyful person, an affirming person, a hope-filled person. And so I'm asking the Lord to please continue to change me into his likeness. And so in conclusion, I want to share with you how I have been met with grace and hope as a recovering, faithless grumbler and complainer. If it's you, I'd encourage you first and foremost to rehearse the gospel afresh. Humble yourself, ask for forgiveness, and then with joy, review his tender mercy because he offers to those who confess their sins forgiveness. And he's so kind not to leave us in sadness and misery, but instead you begin to see just why he is so bright, why he is a great light to the world. He really is strong and wise and good. And he can help us not to murmur. And here is how he's helping me. What he's shown me is that in order to stop complaining, I must remember. It sounds silly. It sounds easy. Perhaps it even sounds trite, but it's true. What do I have to complain about when I'm complaining with this faithless grumble? Well... I need to build my hope. And where is my hope found? Is my hope found in my bank account or in my my health or in my uh, work? Or is my hope found in the one who created me and is ordering my steps, the one who knit me together in my mother's womb, the one who has placed me here on earth for such a time as this? So if I'm inclined to grumble and to be thankless and to complain about my circumstances, what would happen if I would only take time to remember his gracious redemption and provision? Do it with me for just a moment. Do you, have you been able to stop and take a moment and look at the, God's fingerprints all over your life? Think about God's fingerprints just on your life to this date. Remember how God has protected you from making a shipwreck of your life? Remember how God graciously let you grow up in a godly family or allowed you the privilege of hearing the gospel preached? Remember how God awakened you to the ugliness of your sin? Remember how you walked away from that terrible car crash? 
Remember how your wife or your sister or your mom survived breast cancer. Remember how you had mentors and key friends guide you in your faith? Remember how God sustained you during the season of unemployment? Remember how God miraculously healed you? Remember that impossible prayer request that God answered? Remember how you had no money and an envelope just showed up in the mail with the exact amount of money that you needed? Remember how the gospel came alive as it never had before? Remember God who loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe might not perish but have everlasting life. Remember, what a beautiful antidote to spiritual forgetfulness and making every effort to recall and remember God's gracious deliverance. The fact that you and I, sinners, enemies of God, are now beloved children. It's a miracle It is an absolute miracle, and we don't ever want to allow that wonder to fade. You see, faithful complaining, uh, faithful complaining, these complainers complain knowing that God is good. They complain knowing that what God will come through as He promised. They will complain that God, with knowing God is ruling and reigning over every season and situation that he entrusts us with. Every faithful complainer complains knowing that God really is able. He has the power to turn that situation. He has the power to leave you in that situation and be glorified. Faithful complaining, complainers know that God really does care. And he cares about you. He cares about you. So friend, every murmur of grumbling and complaint is in fact deeply theological. And so my charge to you, my question to you as we finish today is, will you complain with faith or will you practice complaining with faithlessness. We serve a God who is faithful and he charges us to do all things without grumbling or questioning that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we shine as lights in the world for our good and his glory. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word, which um, is so rich, so meaningful, so divinely inspired, so that we might have hope, that we might reflect you. And God, we want you to help us. And so would we be men and women who complain in faith, not denying reality, but actually recognizing because of grace, I can call out to my God who is able, who is willing, who is powerful to deliver us and is interested in us. And so Lord, would you be with this beautiful church plant? Would they be a church who shine bright in this crooked and twisted generation, in their workplaces, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their communities? And because of the way that they relate to you, would it be a testimony and an example? 
to those that they come in contact with and would some be saved because of it. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and would you be glorified and continue to make us to be like you from one degree of glory to the next until we're with you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.